1: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumpaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: From, I just point to the logo on my chest and tell them. Hey, go. Hey, hey go. Hey, hey go. Hey. Hey, go. Hey. 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 Get it up hard. Hit it with strike from the National Anthem to the bottom of the ninth. I'm in Slamdy, Ago, Slamdy, Ago, Slamdy, Ago, Slamdy, Ago, Slamdy, Ago. You already know what's up, what's that another home run? We you know the job ain't done, till we hold that
1: trophy up.
3: What's up everybody, welcome to episode 385 of the Talking Friars podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden here with you is Tim Haggerty, me and Tim Haggerty, here on episode 385. Tim, thank you so much for joining the show. If anyone doesn't know who Tim is, he is the, head, the uh, play-by-play broadcaster for the El Paso Chihuahuas, Padres AAA affiliate, obviously. And there was some uh, minor leaguer that was there recently that um, played pretty well there. So, Tim, thanks for the time. And just first off, right off the bat, obviously, that guy talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., I don't think that's ever been a player that has been that dominant on a rehab assignment before. Has there been?
2: You are correct. That's a really good question because, you know, I would tweet about Fernando Tatis when he was at one point seven for seven with five home runs. And Padres fans, of course, love these tweets. And the way Twitter works, it migrated into some Giants and Dodgers fans. And they would say, well, it's triple-A pitching. And yes, triple-A pitching is different than the big leagues. But most triple-A pitchers either have or will pitch in the major leagues. And if triple-A pitching is so easy, then there was one game in Sacramento where Tatis was 0 for 5. So, they, you know, triple-A pitching was good enough to hand him an 0 for 5. Um, and you're right. We, we've seen many stars on rehab assignments. I mean, I've seen... Carl Crawford in his prime and Yadier Molina and the list goes on of major leaguers, really established all-stars and they don't play like that. Um, You know, they might be better than the average AAA player, but they don't treat it like it's a wiffle ball game. Um, It was outstanding. And as you might know, following the Padres closely, there was a couple of times that El Paso was close to getting Fernando Tatis Jr., but it didn't happen. In 2018, He was a 19-year-old at AA, and El Paso had a great team in 2018. They went to the playoffs, and the word was that Tatis might come up to AAA and help El Paso in the playoffs, but that was the year he hurt his thumb and he couldn't come up. Um, Then in 2019, I had a Padres executive tell me at the winter meetings, wait until you see Tatis. He'll begin the year with you guys. And, of course, that was the year he shined so brightly in spring training that the Padres added him to the Major League roster, which surprised a lot of people, so... El Paso was very close to getting Tatis a couple of times and finally did.
3: I think it was worth the wait, but at the same time, I don't think you or other uh, people in El Paso would, would sit there, you know, a couple years ago, a few years ago and say, well, we're going to get Tatis after he's coming back from a PED suspension, right? Like that, that's definitely not what was expected.
2: No. And because it was a suspension and not an injury, people were aware that there was a potential rehab assignment. So as far back as the fall, people would ask the Chihuahuas, do you think Tatis will play here? And you can't confirm that. You say, we hope so, but you don't know. And that was a really fun part of it was it was a six-game homestand with perfect weather. The stadium's looking great, huge crowds. The field is looking immaculate. And that was a fun part for El Paso. Tatis is hitting these homers, especially the third of his three-home run game that got played on SportsCenter, MLB Network, Fox Sports. And so many people, as I flipped through the comments, were saying, wow, El Paso Stadium looks incredible. So because of that gift that Tatis gave El Paso with these home runs, I think it really showed the country. El Paso is a really cool place to come watch a game.
3: That's the impression I got, because I was not watching a lot of El Paso games, obviously, because of how good the Major League team is now, usually – our focus on the Major League team wasn't as much you know, years ago because we were all focused on the prospects. Uh, but, yeah, it, it looked great. So, uh, yeah, that was a great opportunity for El Paso there. Can you explain to the audience how big of a gap there is or how small between AAA pitching and big league pitching? Because, like you said, there are a lot of fans that are haters of Fernando and are like, yeah, that was minor league pitching. Let's see what he can do at the big league level. Or they'll just say, yeah, he's still on roids, you know.
2: I've heard that a couple of ways as far as the disparity between AAA pitching and the big leagues. Obviously, the big leagues is clearly better. But there have been Chihuahua's pitchers over the years that go up to San Diego and actually have better stats than they did in AAA. And the Pacific Coast League, gets a lot of hater-friendly parks. Albuquerque, Reno, uh, El Paso is in that category. Not as drastic as some of the others like Las Vegas. So that's part of it. Um, the thing I've also heard explained is you might see a triple A AAA reliever come in. And let's say this guy has a tremendous slider and hitters have told me that slider is as good as anyone's in the majors. It moves so much, but he doesn't really have the accuracy with his fastball and he doesn't have a changeup or, you know, in AAA on the position player side, there are some guys with power as powerful as anybody, but Maybe they strike out too much and they can't run and they can't field. It's like um, the isolated skills are as good as the big leagues, but the complete package is not. So, yeah, what what Fernando Tatis Jr. did is atypical. Um, And what Philip Wellman, the Chihuahua's manager, told me that was an interesting observation, what really impressed Philip was his six walks. Fernando hadn't played many games since the end of the 2021 season, and the Chihuahua's coaching staff observed that he wasn't chasing pitches, that his at-bats were in mid-season form. You know, he struck out twice, and he walked six times. So he was really zoned in on the pitches that he wanted. Um, and it was amazing, Ben. I mean, at one point, he went 10 for his last 11 with six home runs.
3: Yeah, that's just nuts. I mean, finished with 515 average there, seven home runs, 15 runs driven. Uh, and- how is he looking in the field, in right field? Because he's playing like nine innings, right, per game? Much.
2: Yeah, at the beginning of the rehab assignment in Sacramento, there was a couple of games that he played seven innings. There was one game in El Paso that he played seven innings as he worked back, uh, you know, getting ready to play every day. But to me, he looked outstanding in right field. He made a couple of acrobatic catches. I know that the evaluators say there's still times that he's working on his reads as to be expected for somebody who's new to the outfield. But the Padres had a couple of executives who were there evaluating Tatis during this rehab assignment. And one of them told me he's just so gifted. They're amazed at how quickly he's taking to the outfield. Um, And obviously that same great arm at shortstop is applying to the outfield. There was one play in Sacramento where this batter was trying to stretch a single into a double. And Tatis made a perfect line drive throw right there above second base. And it was so impressive that even the fans in Sacramento, the Giants affiliate, were cheering for that one.
3: Yeah. Um, I wanted to get to the home run. I think it was his first home run that he hit in Sacramento. Uh, Obviously the day after the, or maybe it was that same night, uh, Cade McClure, who gave up the home run, he accused Tatis, you know, a cheater, called him a cheater. Do you see that happening at the big league level? Like, do you think that that, that McClure is kind of alone in being able being willing to do that publicly to him or that that's actually going to be something that we'll see when he reaches uh, the major league level this year.
2: That's a good question. I was surprised how long that tweet survived. Uh, I heard that someone in the giants organization nudged him to take it down, but it wasn't until that next day after, you know, I don't know, millions of people saw it that he did take it down. And um, from my perspective, you know, I, am just a broadcaster, but someone who's been around this for a while, The thing that surprised me a little bit about a player doing that is, let's say in the fall, he's a minor league free agent. And there's a big list of players that he's competing with to get a job. So let's say some major, you know, random major league team wants some AAA depth and is considering him, but they're also considering somebody else. Are they going to think about that tweet? Are they going to say, is this a guy that might be a problem? Um, I don't know. Again, I'm not in those meetings. I'm only a broadcaster, but to me, being a ball player is like any other job. You want to make yourself hireable. You want to make yourself desirable. You know, you, you want to be someone who shows up on time, doesn't stir the pot, does his work. Uh, that was just my take. But as far as what major leaguers will think, I don't know. It, You know, I read the articles as much as you do, and it seems like the Padres, after the, that apology last summer from Fernando, have accepted him, have welcomed him back. They're excited about it. I know in the El Paso clubhouse, after that three-home run game, players were telling me the next day they were just, like, speechless at what they witnessed, being in the dugout for a three-home run, eight-RBI, five-hit game. So as far as the players I've spoken to, it's not an issue anymore.
3: What about the uh, fan reception? Um, It looked like it was good in El Paso, What was it like in Sacramento if you were there? And just overall, like, were you surprised by the fan reception or you expected it to be pretty good?
2: It was interesting in Sacramento when the starting lineups were introduced, he was cheered. A lot of people bought tickets to see him. But then when he came up to bat, there were some boos mixed in. From what I heard, maybe a little bit more cheers than boos, though. In El Paso, people were thrilled, especially after he kept hitting these home runs, just roaring ovations. So if I had to make a prediction, I'm sure at Petco Park, he'll be welcomed back warmly. Uh, On the road, maybe a mixed response. You know, but we've seen over the years, players that have suspensions can redeem themselves. Um, There's multiple examples of that, of, of likable players who in their past had a suspension. So I think as more time goes on, he'll probably get less heat.
3: How about, let's move to another player, Adam Angle. He is rehabbing for the Padres, obviously, after having a couple injuries in spring training. How is he looking so far in his assignment?
2: Very good. Um, he had a couple of doubles for the Chihuahuas at home. He played last night, as we, we taped this on Wednesday. He played on Tuesday night in Tacoma and um, also reached base a couple of times, had a great throw from right field. So I had never seen him play. He was in the White Sox organization. As you know, he wasn't someone who came up with the Padres uh, so he played in the AAA International League at Charlotte. So we really never saw him in the Pacific Coast League, but um, spoke to him at the the airport. Seems like a very friendly person. Obviously takes care of his body. He's in great condition. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see how that unfolds because the Padres have Tatis coming back to play right field. Um, Angle is an outfielder, but they're already, you know, packed together at various outfield spots. So, yeah. Um, Really interesting. And I I think what makes it so interesting is the versatile players the Padres have where, you know, Rugnet O'Dora can play some outfield, but has primarily been an infielder. Um, Brandon Dixon, who we've seen in El Paso, can play both infield and outfield. Um, You know, I have no inside info, but I am curious to see what the Padres major league roster looks like on May 1st, for example.
3: how long this might be of a rehab assignment? Is it a couple of weeks? Is it like spring training length because of the injuries? Do you know how long?
2: No, I, I asked Philip Wellman that, and he said that the Padres, like a lot of organizations, will take it a couple of days at a time, make sure his health is progressing. So right now there's no announced plan as far as how long he'll be in El Paso uh, and when he could come back.
3: Brett Sullivan, he made his big league debut um, last night. Can you give us a little bit of background on him and are you surprised to see him up at big league level? Uh, I I know that he had the jam, so that's why Sullivan's up, but what I've seen so far, what I saw in the world baseball classic, he's been an impressive catcher. And I think he's definitely a serviceable uh, backup catcher.
2: I agree with you. Uh, We were fortunate in El Paso last year to have two outstanding hitting catchers, Luis Camposano and Brad Sullivan. Um, and then backups beyond that, like Yorman Rodriguez and Michael Cantu are solid players also. So there's some good catching depth in the Padres organization. And Sullivan, yeah, left-handed hitter, batted 300 last year, very good throwing catcher. Uh, El Paso had a lower ERA with him catching compared to others. He's really known as someone who calls pitches well. And kind of some behind-the-scenes insight on that. What really impressed people was his attitude because if you remember – There was a couple of days after uh, Padres camp breaks in Peoria, and the team went to Petco Park to get ready for opening day against Colorado. And there was a couple of Chihuahuas players, uh, Taylor Colway and Brett Sullivan, who were still with the Padres. They were still in the mix, maybe, to make the opening day roster as they made decisions involving injuries and involving performance. Well, both were sent back to El Paso. And you think about how deflating that must be. Neither one had ever been to the major leagues. And they're literally. In the building, a day or two before opening day, they're right there. Um, and from what I hear, Brett Sullivan showed up back to El Paso and was not sour. He was motivated. He was positive. Uh, Taylor Colway the same. And now, look what ha- look what happens in Sullivan's case. Just a couple of weeks later, he goes up and makes his major league debut. Um, and I heard that people really noticed that. How uh, you know? You know, years ago, a manager told me when a player is sent down to the minor leagues the organization really watches them. They want to see what type of guy this is. how is he going to handle it being sent down? Is he going to go to AAA and not hustle and be a problem? Or is he going to be extra motivated to get back? You know, there's one or two ways you can go at that. And it seems both Sullivan and Colway handled it well.
3: Now talking about motivation, I mean, Ryan Weathers, I think he had motivation to have a much better year than he had last year. I think when I had you on last year, we just, didn't really know, like, why he was struggling. It was just kind of weird. I know El Paso, obviously, it you know, that's the hitter's more ballpark league um, just in general. Now, this season, he's off to a really good start, and he's done nothing to say, like, I should be in the minor leagues, not the major leagues. He's proven that he should be in the major leagues and be in the bullpen when Joe Musgrove comes back. What have you, I know you're not watching Ryan Weather's starts probably like all of them, but did you notice anything? If you watch spring training or anything like that compared to last year, like why is he performing so well now compared to last year?
2: I did speak to him briefly at the spring training, uh, having been a familiar face when he pitched for El Paso in 22 and briefly in 21. And I also read the articles that talked about a new windup for him, new mechanics, uh, um, And what he would do is film himself in the offseason, go back around, look at the camera, see how the delivery looked and tinker with it. It's interesting. Players, they're so into their technology and they're helping themselves get better, which is one of many examples why I think today's player is as talented, more talented than ever before in the history of the game. I love baseball history, but I'm sure Ryan Weathers, if you could somehow transport him to baseball 100 years ago, would just be whipping it past Hall of Fame players because of everything they can do now with strength training, with their diet, with technology, with edge tronic cameras and Rapsodo cameras, and uh, evaluating their own delivery. So that is must be what's so fun for a baseball executive these days. Is Ryan Weathers has a disappointing season in 2022, spends most of the year in AAA, did not have a great season statistically, but shows up in 2023 and all of a sudden he's in the rotation for a contending team. Uh, What a turnaround. So, yeah, I think that's a good question to bring up him because, um, you know, I think even the most optimistic people maybe in the summer of 2022 didn't see this happening as quickly as it did for Weathers.
3: Yeah. How about Joe Musgrove and his influence? Uh, He's probably had an influence on Ryan Weathers, some other young guys uh, in this organization. I know he just spent some time in AAA for that one rehab start before he went to Lake Elsinore. Do you know, have you heard any stories of Joe Musgrove really mentoring some of these guys in AAA, like his time there? I know it wasn't a long period of time, but what did some of those players take away from that?
2: Yeah, I know his reputation as a hard worker with his conditioning has to make an effect on people. Um, the day I started in AAA, he did this really subtle thing. Uh in the minor leagues, I'm not sure if this is the case in the major leagues, but the previous day's starting pitcher typically handles the bucket at batting practice. They collect all the baseballs behind a screen in center field. Not the most fun job, but it's just tradition. The previous day's starting pitcher does it. Joe Musgrove, under no obligation to do it as a major leaguer on rehab, volunteered to do that. He liked the message that that sent. And an El Paso coach told me, yeah, you don't have to tell him to do anything. He apparently shows up with such passion for his conditioning And I also heard that's why the Padres wanted him to throw his side session, uh, his bullpen in San Diego, as opposed to El Paso, because Musgrove was so eager to get back that some in the organization thought, well, this guy's going to say anything to get back in the rotation as soon as possible. We want to absolutely make sure his foot is ready. Um, You know, sometimes a player is just so passionate that they want to come back tomorrow, whereas the medical people say, okay, let's slow down a little bit. Um, and it sounds like that's what happened with Musgrove. So I think the longer I do this, the more you hear about players and the great ones. They're also in tune with their routine and their body, whether it's their diet, their conditioning, their mechanics. I mean, it's stating the obvious, but that's just a huge part of why the great players are great. Earlier, I mentioned the Yadier Molina rehab assignment that I was around for when El Paso was visiting Memphis. And the Memphis broadcaster walked up to him on Friday in the afternoon before a Friday night game. And he asked him if he had five minutes for an interview and without skipping a beat, Molina said, let's do it Sunday morning at 10. And I love that this guy is a probable hall of famer. And on Friday he knew his schedule for Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, guys like Musgrove, I've heard about some Padres that are the same way. Like they know when they show up to the Peoria complex or to Petco park, what that day's schedule looks like.
3: Yeah, always prepared. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Musgrove, he's one of the many leaders uh, on this Padres team, and so that's great to hear. Um, Bullpen-wise, long relief. has been a little bit of an issue for the Padres. Maybe it won't be when Nick Martinez or Ryan Weathers heads to the bullpen, but just some other guys in AAA. Is it Julio Teron, uh Jay Groom? Are those the guys that we might be looking at that maybe – could help the Padres at some point this season there?
2: Yeah, both of those are in the AAA rotation, and I think they're good candidates potentially to maybe get games with the Padres this year. You know, Groom is on the 40-man roster. Tehran is not. And Jay was, from what I understand, in the mix to potentially get a job with the Padres out of spring training. He's off to a good start. He's pitching tonight in Tacoma. And to me, Jay Groom would be in the major leagues with, I don't know, half the teams. It's just that the Padres pitching staff is full of established veterans, that there isn't room for him right now. But to me, if, I don't know, Jay Groom was a Pittsburgh Pirate or a Cincinnati Red, I think he'd be in the show right now. Uh, Julio Tehran had a great start at Sacramento recently, struck out eight and six innings. And it was interesting to talk to him one day. He's just so positive, so friendly. He was in the majors as recently as 2021, but then got hurt with the Tigers. And that put him on the outside looking in last year, where he was pitching an independent baseball And in Mexico. Um, But now it just seems he's so positive for this opportunity to be in AAA back in an affiliated organization for a contending team. Um, You know, it's interesting. Sometimes there's a perception that a veteran guy like that who's been a major league all-star might be a little bit cranky to be in AAA. But it's not always true. In fact, it's rarely true. I've found Um, a guy in his case is thrilled to be here because last year he was in independent ball.
3: Yeah. All All right. So last question here. Definitely appreciate the time. You've got a new book out, Tales from the Dugout. I'd love to hear more about this book. And is there a a Padres minor league related story in there?
2: Yes. Um, I happen to have it. There it is. is. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, of 1001 minor league stories. I've always loved researching baseball history. So the stories are from the present day, but they go all the way back to the 1800s and uh, I just open a random page. Yeah. There's um, illustrations in there as well. And what was fun about this, it's, it's funny. The random page I opened up is a San Diego Padres story. Um, The San Diego Padres, of course, before 1969 were in the Pacific coast league and San Diego, as you probably know, has tons of baseball history before the national league Padres. Um, So let's see, I just opened up this random one. Yeah, there's a Padres player in 1946, Del Ballinger. He found a toy cap gun and pointed it at the umpire. And the umpire thought it was real and he freaked out, but it was just a toy gun. Um, That might not be the best story that I picked, but most of them are uh, more pleasant than that. But um, I think just it was a wild time in baseball history. And there's a lot of fun stories in there. So, yeah, some involve Padres affiliates. Like a couple of years ago, 2018, AA San Antonio one night had a cat delay when a cat ran around the field. And the next day, same series, the next day, there was a huge snake in the outfield. And these poor San Antonio ballpark employees had to run out there with a big bucket and corral this thick snake, by the way. I'm not talking just like a little gardener snake. I mean, this thing could do some damage. And it was in the outfield. Um So I got that story and saw the video. Michael Geddes, if you remember him, a former Padres prospect, was the outfielder nearby this snake. So that's the type of thing I gathered. I hope that uh, even casual baseball fans enjoy it. I really had a high standard for what made it into the book. It had to be pretty out of the ordinary to make it in there. Um, And it's available for sale now.
3: Perfect. Yeah. So I know it's on Amazon. Where else do you know that they can get it?
2: Yes, it's available on Amazon. Uh, You can ask for it in your local bookstore. Some bookstores have it, some don't, but it's available online wherever books are sold, Barnes & Noble's website, Amazon, and again, uh, Tales from the Dugout, 1001 Minor League Stories.
3: There you go. All right, Tim Haggerty, El Paso Chihuahuas broadcaster, Padres AAA affiliate. Thank you so much for the time. Definitely a great follow uh, on social media, and you can listen to him as well during games. and Just following El Paso. I know that a lot of the attention is on the big league level now with the guys, all the talent that it's at the big league level, but during rehab assignments, and there are going to be players that are going to come up and help this team uh, at some point this year. Baseball is a long season, so definitely be following along there. Tim, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Ben. Good to talk to you.
3: That's it, everyone. That's the episode. Talk to you guys later this week. Go Padres.